an army with a fist raised to the sky. Leading them as a mighty man with a mad rage in his eye. My name is James Conley, I didn't come here to die. But to fight for the rights of the working class, this small farmer too, to protect the proletariat from the bosses and the screws. So hold on to your rifles, boys, don't give up the dream. All right, so welcome back to the Plow and Stars. This is our addendum on what's happening in Venezuela. And hopefully we're going to keep you up to date uh, as things, as conditions develop uh, on the ground. And before we get deep into the Venezuela update, um, I just want to address a concern that a listener had about our first episode uh, detailing particularly the fall in the rate of profit. And that concern was that we didn't talk very much or at all, possibly at all, about the composition of labor. So I'm going to just briefly address that issue and then we'll move on to Venezuela. So the composition of labor in modern capitalist society is divided between workers, living labor, and machines, dead labor, or calcified labor. And one of the issues that causes the rate of profit to fall, we talked about how the concentration of capital makes it more difficult for new capitalists or small capitalists to get involved in the market and drive speculation. One of the ways that that concentration happens is through the increasing inorganic composition of labor. As you need more and more machines to compete efficiently with other capitalist enterprises, the margin through which you can exploit individual workers decreases because machines are unexploitable. You pay the manufacturer of the machine precisely the value that the machine will return to you over its lifetime, and there's no margin there to extract profit. So the more of your operation is required in order to compete in the market to be composed of inorganic labor, that is automation, the less profit you can draw from the laborers, which is the site from which profit is taken. So the more automated your system becomes, the less profitable it is to the individual capitalist because there's less places to take surplus value. So that's, that's what we mean when we talk about the organic and inorganic composition of labor. That is yet another one of the dialectical conflicts inside capitalism that lead to tension and eventual collapse. <clears throat> that being said, I'm going to introduce everybody who's on today. We're going to have uh, Doc Plague. Uh, he's basically, he's recorded his section already because he can't be available. So he's sort of remote commuting in. Uh, I am... Uh, I am the angry commie lawyer or the, the cat dad commie lawyer now uh, on Twitter. If you don't know where I'm at, it's because I've been suspended a bunch of times for saying <laughs> things to white nationalists and U.S. lawmakers. Uh, with me today is Red Bernard, uh, who has not ever, as far as I know, been suspended from Twitter. So, uh, nope, it has me. never happened because I don't <laughs> spend very much time there. Seven hand for Red Bernard. He's our, he's our uh, outreach on Reddit. Uh, and also with us is Pay My Rant, uh, who is our fourth host, who joined us for the first time with our first Venezuela episode. Hello. So, hi, everybody say hi. 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 <laughs> All right. So <laughs> this is, uh, before we get started, I just want to remind you that listening to this episode of The Plow and Stars does not count as your activism for the day. You have to go out and do something in order to make some change. The uh, The purpose of this 
podcast isn't to fulfill that need you feel to be involved. The purpose is to give you tools with which to get involved. So go out and do something. All right. So I'm going to cover the first section here today. We're going to talk about what's been going on with Wido. And that requires us to go back a little bit to late January. Uh, so in late January, well, in mid-January, uh, he declared himself interim president. We discussed how that happened. In late January, the prosecutor general of Venezuela, Tarek Saab, uh, basically told the Supreme Court that he intended to investigate Guaido for various anti-government activities. And it should come as no surprise that the prosecutor general is one of the leading members of the, of the, uh, the party founded by Chavez. So Guaido... For, for good reason, I guess, was, was concerned about this investigation. But the, the, the lead prosecutor, the general prosecutor, uh, Attorney Saab, applied for a travel ban from the Supreme Court. And we already spoke about how the Supreme Court and the National Assembly, the Assemblée Nationale, was uh, in conflict, in tension. The Supreme Court gave the travel ban, uh, imposed a travel ban on Huaido. And as, as you might expect, immediately Huaido fled the country uh, to avoid investigation. So he broke this travel ban, which uh, opens him up to, I believe, a 30-year prison sentence for disobeying a court order. But he broke it to flee to Colombia. And we talked a little bit about Colombia and its situation in the, uh, in the international uh, capital organization. And so the president of Colombia uh, is a guy named Marquez, who used to be president of the Inter-American Developmental Bank. And, you know, whatever, oh, a bank. Yes, right. <laughs> the uh, the IAD, the Inter-American Developmental Bank, is a loaning organization that was founded in, I believe, the early 80s. Uh, and it's basically a way for the U.S. to pour money into South and Central America and influence its uh, its domestic politics. Well, founded so, in the 80s, huh? <laughs> like, what a shock <laughs> that anything founded in the 80s in Latin America would be a tool of U.S. imperialism. Yeah. So uh, the this Inter-American Developmental Bank was a was a way to kick uh, kick power over to um, to U.S. interests in Central and South America and sort of block what were seen as Soviet overtures in South and Central America. And we kind of talked a little bit about liberation theology and what was going on with the Soviets at that at that period. So. Mr. Marquez, President Marquez, President of Colombia, former president of the Inter-American Developmental Bank, of course, welcomed Guaido. Uh, he ha there's a number of former Chavismo uh, supporters who have turned on Maduro, who are also in Colombia, a few high-ranking generals. And uh, Guaido went to them and claimed that what he was doing was attempting to get together much-needed food and medical supplies to help Venezuela. So while he was under investigation for anti-government activities, he fled the country to another country that is known to be hostile, where anti-government uh, people are, and claimed to be getting together this aid caravan. And the doc will talk about the aid caravan and what was really going on with the aid caravan in a little bit. Uh, so while he was in... Colombia, what, what he was actually doing was trying to get a couple of these generals uh, together. Uh, and he got together, I think, uh, two or three hundred soldiers in Colombia, the plan being to cross the border uh, and flip the army over inside Venezuela and take control of the country. Uh, at that time, in early uh, February and late January, Bolton, 
our friend, Mr. Bolton, uh, stated that their armed forces in Venezuela were looking for ways to support Guaido. And what he meant was that Guaido had promised that he was going to get the armed forces on his side. And there have been now a few reports that were released stating that uh, Guaido and Bolton and Pence actually had phone conversations in which Guaido said, oh, yeah, you know, the whole army is going to be on my side. And, you know, <laughs> Bolton and, and Pence have been embarrassed on the national on the international level to find that, in fact, the army overwhelmingly supports Maduro and the, uh, the Chavismo program. So this is sort of representative of a failed putsch. He, he, Guaido attempted to get all of these people together. Uh, he offered amnesty to all members of the military who desert Maduro. He said, you know, if you come over to my side, you won't be charged. We're, well, if Maduro gives up power, he won't be charged. And nobody budged, basically. Uh, the military overwhelming, I think 1% of the military wound up uh, publicly supporting Guaido. And this is such March- a legacy, right, of of Chavez, because he was also beloved by the military. So if you have Maduro, yes. who was his chosen successor, of course the military is not going to be loyal to this. They're pulling a like a Mariah Carey, like, I don't know her. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And this is very similar to what happened in the 2002 attempted coup, where the business community attempted to overthrow the government. And, uh, you know, the military said no. <clears throat> so... We have the same kind of thing happening right now. On March 4th, uh, Guaido returned to Venezuela. Uh, He landed in Caracas after taking a flight out of Panama City. And he may now stand trial for breaking a court order. Uh, We don't it's not clear yet whether or not that's that's actually going to manifest as a charge. But uh, certainly, I imagine he will be investigated now for his anti-government activities, particularly what's with what's come to light in that plane from Miami that was stopped in the, in the aid caravan that doc is going to talk about all of these things. And I think it's very important to, to know and notice who is saying what about what's going on. If you look at articles from CNN on March 5th, they said that Huido came back after gathering together much needed food and supplies. But by March 5th, uh, earlier this week, we already knew it had already been reported that Huido, uh, that, that that caravan rather, was full of people uh, basically committing a war crime, wearing Red Cross gear who were not members of the Red Cross uh, and a whole bunch of other shit that's obviously not much needed food and medical supplies. Right. Such as gas masks. Uh, well, you, can't, and... you can't eat guns. I thought right. you yeah. eat them. Right. Yes. Well, well you, you can. You just shouldn't unless you're a fascist. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can you can eat guns and then you, you eat it once and it ends the problem. Uh, and that's how we get rid of the fascists. That's, uh... So, yeah, basically, you look at your source, you say who is reporting on Huido as the hero who is not uh, who is trying to give a more nuanced report. And that's how you can tell who you can who you can trust when you get your reporting. And I know people are going to say, oh, Telesur's not. Telesur is not reliable because they're the Venezuelan state uh, reporting agency. But, you know, you you got people going out there. CNN is getting their information from the Voice of America, which is uh, the U.S. state reporting agency designed openly to further State Department goals. So you you just have to weigh you have to weigh what you're looking at. And, and, you know, I think uh, when you're looking at these different sources, I think it's important to think about what they said about the uh, about the actual election. You know, we talked last time um, about the election itself and how everyone who was there, at least as far as I could find, I 
looked high and low to find reports in English from anyone who said anything uh, negative about the the legitimacy of the election. Um, and that includes lots of people who are Venezuela's kind of like regional rivals who don't necessarily like Venezuela. But everyone who was actually there said it was okay. Uh, but of course, that's not what you hear on CNN. You hear that Everyone has been denouncing it, and everyone who's denounced it, uh, you know, wasn't actually there. So, you know, when it comes to looking at these sources, they're going to pick up whatever they can uh, when it comes to CNN or New York Times or whoever. They're going to pick up whatever they can uh, to say that this is illegitimate, it's bad, whatever. Um, right. And I mean, we mentioned would... this last time, but um, like, I think it's important to shout out some some good sources of news um, because there's so much propaganda. But Venezuela analysis is one yes. that that I've been referencing a lot. Um, it, and feel free to shout out some other ones if you guys have them, because yep. I'm sure our our audience wants to have some of those sure, sources yeah. they can rely on. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you're going to have to look. You're going to have to do some of your own filtering, obviously, when you look for sources, because there's art. Uh, Russia Today sometimes has good stuff, but sometimes not. Um, so, Empire Files is a huge Empire one. Files, yeah, 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 yeah. Empire Files for sure um, is a great source um, because they're 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 actually there on the ground filming, uh, you know, and they're uh, they do a great job of making sure to investigate the claims that. You know, whatever, whatever it might be, as far as talking to the opposition, as far as checking out the press, whether it's actually uh, all pro Maduro or not, that kind of yeah, thing. And, and if you're on Twitter, you can follow Boots Riley, who generally posts uh, analyses of videos and things from Venezuela. He's very involved. Um, the other thing, the last thing I'm going to say here is that it's important to see now the language being used in the imperial media. If you uh, check to see what Fido is being called. Clearly, clearly, the the a coup attempt is failing. He is no longer being called the interim president by AP or Agence France Pes. Uh, he is being called the opposition leader, which right. means that the, the goal uh, is failing. The, the U.S. goal is failing. He he does not have support in the country, and absent some kind of invasion or U.S. support, it seems like. Uh, it seems like Maduro is going to stand strong and that Chavismo is doing its part and that by organizing at a community level, we really are looking at a country that is capable of withstanding some of the general CIA imperial aggression overtures. Now, obviously, they won't stand up to the U.S. military, but hopefully we can make enough noise at home to keep that from happening. Amen. We do have, yeah, yeah. We do have uh, some reports of the U.S., landing soldiers in Haiti and Colombia, which is worrisome. But so far, nothing has come of that. So now we're going to go over to Doc for his section on the aid caravan, the quote-unquote aid caravan. Uh, he's going to give us a little blurb on that. So uh, for my part on our Venezuela update this week, I would like to talk about um, the aid that is being uh, offered to Venezuela um, from the United States. And that I say aid with quotes. Um, so recently, you might have heard, there were two trucks uh, filled with humanitarian aid, supposedly, that were parked at the border between Colombia and Venezuela on the Colombian side. Um, these were trucks that were full of supposed U.S. aid for the people of Venezuela. Um, somehow, the trucks caught fire, and the U.S. media uh, immediately claimed that it was started from uh, gas grenades that the Venezuelan border security had fired at some of these uh, you know, peaceful Colombian demonstrators. Um, what was later revealed, but never reported, uh, was that these demonstrators on the Colombian side were actually throwing Molotov cocktails into Venezuela. Um, 
in the video that I saw um, that was uncovered actually by Boots Riley. Um, in the video, it clearly shows one of these people um, turning and then throwing cocktails at the trucks to catch them on fire. Um, you know, in an effort to kind of uh, demonize you know Venezuela as not caring for their people, trying to intentionally starve them out. Um, and then later on, um, seeing footage of the burned wreckage and people picking through it, um, all the supposed aid and everything was gas masks and combat supplies for a coup that the U.S. was trying to smuggle into Venezuela, um, you know, for the uh, right wing, uh, for the coup. Um, and then also um, Venezuela has been uh, criticized for disallowing several uh, international Red Cross workers into the country. Um, you know, they had some people at the border again, you know, they refused to let them in. Um, but then later on the Red Cross issued a statement, um, saying that the people that Venezuela actually turned away, uh, were not affiliated in any way with the Red Cross, but that had acquired some of their uniforms in an effort to infiltrate the country. So thank you for that, Doc. Um, we're going to now finally wrap up with a little bit of very, very breaking news, very recent news, something that happened two days ago. There's not too much information about it out, but uh, Red will cover that. Yeah, so just a quick update on one of the aspects of the unfolding situation. Um, so the largest power blackouts in the country, uh, in the history, uh, started uh, on the afternoon of Thursday, March 7th. Um, the blackouts have been affecting the entire country. Uh, as of yesterday, several of the eastern states and some parts of Caracas have had power restored. Um, however, most of the country remains without power. Uh, the Minister of Electric Power, uh, Luis uh, Dominguez, uh, revealed that the blackout was the result of sabotage. Um, and as the Venezuelan Minister of Communication, George Rodriguez, pointed out, Marco Rubio tweeted about the blackout just minutes after it began. Uh, while I haven't been able to confirm that the specific position of the Minister of Electric Power, because uh, I don't speak the, the language, uh, the buzz is this was actually a cyber attack, uh, and the, the mechanism of it was to cause the floodgates of the Guri Dam to open. Uh, oh and of God. course, most of the power uh, generated <clears throat> in Venezuela is hydroelectric power from this dam. Uh, so yeah. that's... So that's been, you know, you, you've been hearing a lot about that, even in uh, the the U.S. media, although, of course, they don't tell you anything about the cause. They just say, oh, look, the country's falling apart. There's huge blackouts. Uh, but again, this is the biggest blackout in, in the history of the country. It's not like this is uh, something something that happens all the time because, oh, socialism doesn't work or something. And so, therefore, yeah, yeah, of course, their power generation fails. Like, this has never happened before. Uh, this is clearly... Um, whether it is U.S. or not, and that's, I guess that's still up for debate. I'm, I'm right. I mean, there's no, is. right, there's no, there's not, there's no evidence, but this, but it definitely, that's the only one that really makes a lot of sense. It's so yeah, sick, it's, I mean, it's, too. It's just like, yeah. you know. Well, think about the people that are going to exactly, die as a result. Exactly, exactly. That's the thing. When, totally. when you lose power to areas like that that don't have other kinds of infrastructure, people are going to die. People are going to, people who depend on life-saving um, yeah. technology and uh, like, uh, it's just, you put so many 100%. people at risk and they're just pawns. They're just pawns for yeah. people trying to gain political power. It's really yeah. transparently um, just insidious. It's grotesque. Disgusting. I mean, it it's, really it's grotesque. It's somebody, somebody somewhere, a lot of people, in fact, in order for something like this to happen, if this was an attack, a lot of people had to sit and think and say, you know, their, their power is going to be cut to doctor's offices and hospitals 
all over Venezuela. And that will necessarily result in the deaths of people who are just like in the hospital for routine surgeries, even not let alone people who are on life support for because, you know, they're very badly injured or very badly sick. Even people who are just in the operating room being operated on because their appendix burst or something, right? right? The power, the power across the country cut. Someone, if this was an attack, made that decision to say it is more important for me to know that I can depend on the president of Venezuela to allow my fucking oil company in there than it is to, to allow these people to live uninterrupted lives without my fucking fingers in all of their business to make sure that I can get what I want, that I can take from that country cheap oil. Yeah. And, and there's no, I mean, there's no way that you can even contemplate this, uh, in a way that is, I mean, this is the first thing that comes to our minds because, of course, you know, we think this is horrendous, but it would be the first thing that comes to anybody's mind because it's not as though there's any way to say, oh, well, I'm going to turn off electricity, but just to the military bases, right? Like, no, you, right. of course you're going to be hitting hospitals. Of course you're going to be hitting, uh, you know, schools. You're going to be hitting grocery stores so that, uh, for example, the refrigeration in all the grocery stores is gone. So they have no ability to, uh, maintain the fresh stocks of food that they did have. Yeah, I mean, it's it's grotesque and it's unfortunately routine. So when you hear about this, don't just think about, well, well, in this situation, this is what the U.S. has done or this is what the, the U.S. government has done. This happens all the time. This is just a routine kind of operation for them. These These are people who are up to their necks in the blood of basically the poorest, most vulnerable people in the world, because they want, when they tell you on television that we do things abroad to secure our freedom and democracy, what they mean is in order for your food prices to remain cheap and for the gas that goes into your car to remain cheap enough that you don't say, I can't, I can't afford my food and my gas. I can't afford my heating. I'm going to overthrow the government. What that's what they mean by peace and democracy, that they will go out and they will murder anyone to make sure that the people here stay docile and that their operation of being, you know, just fucking wealthy assholes in their giant houses can, 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 can continue indefinitely. No, but here's the thing, really, like this kind of um, disregard for people's lives, the thing that they don't tell you. Uh, uh, so the American economy used to be based on manufacturing and industrial output, right? And then there was mm-hmm. a shift where we shifted to consumerism because it was more profitable ultimately to shill people things that they don't necessarily need, but create a culture where people feel that they have some sort of material empowerment or control over their like lifestyle. And we've sold Mm -hmm. people this dream that, you know, in order to be happy, you need these commodities. And the, the US like money making machine, the war machine cannot survive if people continue to um, participate in consumerism, if they're priced out of that, if they can't afford it, right. if it becomes inaccessible to them, then that consumerism model crumbles. And and exactly. the, the U.S. empire depends on this um, continued commodification and consumerism of, of the general population. That's why they'd like you to stay dumb and buying shit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, buy, your, buy your 50th pair of uh, $200 sneakers or whatever. <laughs> Right. I when mean, you, it can be anything. You know? Yeah. When when you apply this kind of analysis, you can solve problems that uh, you otherwise can't solve. Because a liberal will ask you, "Well, why do we need all this money for defense spending? It doesn't make any sense. Where is it going? Let's cut it." But the reason that that liberal can't answer the question that this is blowing their mind that we spend as a country all this money on the military is because they don't have the analytical tools or they're afraid to apply the analytical tools that go down to the root cause. And 
that's where the word radical comes from, right? We're radicals because we go to the root cause. The root cause of the military spending is that the entire way of U.S. economy is reliant on military exercises in other countries, on us exercising power or having the option to exercise power that way. And when you look at it from this lens, you can understand why the defense budget is so big. And that's one of the, I think, to me, one of the most convincing things about doing an, a material analysis and doing a class analysis is that you can look at these things that require you otherwise to say, oh, these people are crazy, these people are stupid, our, our politicians don't understand what they're doing, they're all mistaken. And actually go and say, no, look, they have interests that are at play. And all of the things that look like they don't make any sense suddenly make perfect sense. Yeah, Why it's they by do design. these things. It's by design, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's all, yeah. So don't let anybody tell you that the government's ineffective or that the politicians don't know what they're doing or a bumbling country. Like, we are doing all of these things intentionally. Yeah. They're doing exactly what their, you know, oligarchical overlords are telling them to do. Yes. And so unless anybody has anything else to say, I'm going to tell you all now, uh, go out and do something about it. Now that you've listened to this, go and tell you, everyone you know that doesn't know anything about what's going on in Venezuela. Tell them that, hey, we just cut the power or we somebody cut the power to all of Venezuela by opening the floodgates of this dam. Tell them that their position should be no involvement, no U.S. involvement in foreign affairs, in the domestic affairs of a foreign country. The U.S. should not be involved in that. Even if you think there's a humanitarian crisis, grant that for now, just for argument's sake. The U.S. as an entity is incapable of solving a humanitarian crisis in another country because of the interests that control the U.S. policy. We can't even, even control if, a, a humanitarian crisis in our own country. Right, right. And I mean, that, <laughs> that, that, that exposes a lie, right? If we were concerned about humanitarian problems, we wouldn't let people freeze to death on the street. Right. And if someone does say that the, the thing that they're worried about is the humanitarian crisis and they're worried about one, you know, as, as Doc will have talked about, um, you know, you can talk to them about, hey, look, if you're worried about this, like, donate to the Red Cross. Red Cross is, is yes. giving aid, right? And they're doing they're doing as much as you can do a good job in the position the Red Cross is in. I mean, they're they're doing it. Um, it's really just a matter of we don't accept it. Like Venezuela is not accepting aid from the U.S. Uh, so so when it yeah. comes to the humanitarian crisis, the U.S. cannot solve that. Exactly. All right. So go go forth and wait for our next episode, which is going to be on the workers' state. Hopefully in a week or so, we'll, we'll have everything squared away uh, and, you know, do do something. Do and something. reach out to us uh, on Twitter via our um, email. If you have ideas for future episodes, you have questions that yes, you want us to address do. on the air. On Twitter, we're at Plow and Stars and our email is contact at plowandstarspod.com. We, we need to hear from you. This doesn't work unless we get feedback from you guys. So please contact us. All right. Everyone, thank you for being on, and uh, we'll talk to you all again soon. Bye-bye. Hey, Red here with a quick addendum to the episode. Uh, we discussed the Red Cross right at the end, and I said, well, tell your, tell your liberal friends to feel free to go donate to the Red Cross. Uh, and we wanted to kind of retract that because after discussing, there are reasons to say that the Red Cross might not be the best place to send your money, especially because there's no guarantee that the Red Cross is going to use your donation on the calls that you chose to donate for.
So that's it for the addendum. Get out there and do good work. Los amantes del odio caerán cual demonio con eterna pena, alma sin calor, sin luz, sin perdón, sin amor, sin Dios. Amén. Al imperio asesino de madres de niños, tortura, sadismo, al rey del cinismo, mi pueblo dice no. Payaso al bufón, siempre preocupado, bocón mercenario, mi pueblo dice no, no, no. Al fascista, al golpista, al que importa violencia, perros de la guerra, al vende patria, mi pueblo dice no. Que engaña y divide al burócrata sordo Mi pueblo dice no No, no Al quinta columna, traidor infiltrado Lobo acartonado, carnet desalmado Mi pueblo dice no Medios golpistas que enferman la gente Sembrando en la mente psicótica muerte Mi pueblo dice no ¡Volverán! ¡No pasarán! ¡No volverán! ¡No pasarán! ¡No volverán! ¡No pasarán! ¡No volverán! ¡No pasarán! ¡No volverán! ¡No volverán! ¡No pasarán! ¡No volverán
Volverán, 